You guys ready for the word this evening? Yeah. Let me tell you something. I feel like this is a word. I'm, I'm not going to freak you guys out, but my TV is off again. It's not working. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to make it through, but it's just off. So for those of you who don't know, this is my cheat, cheat sheet up here. I see all the slides, but it's okay. We're going to make do tonight. I feel like this word is, man, months in the making for me because um, what, what uh, Pastor Mary specifically has brought to the table in my life and, and as a staff and as kind of just people that are in her life, she's brought this awareness of essentially discipleship. And she shares this statistic that it's not, I guess, not a true statistic. It's more of a, of a just kind of an idea. But a lot of Christians who sit in the seats of churches they are spiritually babies and spiritually immature. And, and the truth is, and maybe you know, listen, don't point any fingers. We're not identifying anyone tonight, okay? Don't do that. But maybe you know some individuals who have been Christians, a Christian for like 10 years, but they're still mean. <laughs> they're still, they still have an attitude. They're still bitter. They're still like lying and cheating and doing all of these things. And it's like, what, don't you love Jesus? Don't you love the Lord? And, and how has this love for the Lord not translated to behavioral adjustment and modification in your life? If you love Jesus with your, with your words and with your arms during worship, then why are you still such an ugly person and nasty person to the people around you? Unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians um, that that live their life that, this way. And so what I want to talk today about is the title of this message is Christ-like. Everyone say Christ-like for me. Christ-like. Go to the idea, Sharon, if you don't mind. Here's the idea for today's message. Christians don't just love Christ. They look like him. Amen. If you're a Christian, your job is not just to love Jesus. It's to look like Jesus. And, and here's where I don't want you to misinterpret me, because a lot of times when Christians hear that, we put the cart before the horse. We say, okay, if I'm going to love Jesus, then my behavior has to line up, and my behavior will be proof of my love for Jesus. That's not how I believe an effective Christian life should be lived. I feel like your love for Jesus produces in your life behavior change. Why? Because you begin to love Jesus, and you love what he loves. I'll say it this way, and, I, and I, I've used this analogy before. I have never grown up and desired to go to a ballet show. Anybody? Not one time in my, in my, my childhood, my adolescence, my, my, my early 20s, not one time have I ever said, you know what I want to do with my Friday night? I want to go see ballerinas dance. It's my deepest desire. Not one time I've ever said that. Do you know how many ballet shows I've been to in the last seven years? Do you know why? Because my wife was a ballerina growing up. And so because I have fallen in love with a woman, what she cares about has become what I care about. And that's how our relationship with Jesus should look. It shouldn't look like this. Man, I need to, it shouldn't look like this. I need to love ballet so that Emily would love me. That's the way a lot of Christians live. We try to love the things of God so that God will love us, but you're doing it backwards. You don't, you don't live your life that way. You love people not to impress a good God, but because you're so in love with Jesus. 
because you're head over heels with the person of Jesus, you can't help but begin to love the things that he loves. And I realized something this week. I realized this is where Christians miss it. This is where a lot of Christians fall short is because um, I had a conversation with my mom and, and, and um, one of the things that she said was, she said this, uh, the, the discipleship curriculum that we were going through actually said this. She didn't say it, but um, they, it said that loving Jesus isn't enough. You need to work on how you, how you uh, treat people and love people. And I, and I agree with that, but I disagree with it in a sense because I feel like if you love Jesus the right way, you don't have to work on your behavior. If you love Jesus the right way, you don't have to work on how you feel about people. It's not a conscious effort that you say, I said I love Jesus, so I have to treat you nicely. I'm going to really try hard to treat you nicely. No, no, no. If I believe that if you really love Jesus the right way, your desire is to love people. And here's why I think a lot of Christians are loving Jesus the wrong way. Because a lot of Christians know Jesus as their Savior, but they don't really know him as their Lord. And that's the disconnect because a lot of Christians' relationship with Jesus revolves around what Jesus can do for me. This magic genie in the sky, if I go to church, if I say the things, if I pray the prayers, he's going to serve me and make my life good. And because we have a self-centered view of Jesus, we don't understand that Jesus desires to change you. Jesus desires to come into your life and say, I don't like this. Let me take it out. But we don't like that kind of Jesus. We like the kind of Jesus that affirms us and accepts us just the way we are and loves us and forgives us. And he does all of those things. But I would suggest that if you've never been corrected by Jesus, you don't really know him as well as you think you do. If you've never encountered the fatherly rebuke, the fatherly discipline, the correction that comes from the Lord after you, you, know, you, you said some words that weren't appropriate to your coworker, if you don't receive the conviction of the Lord, that's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be when you do not feel like the Lord is correcting you. Because the Bible says this, I chastise those whom I love. And so you have to not only know Jesus as the Savior, as your Father, you have to know him as your Lord, as your Master, as the one who the whole universe revolves around. It doesn't revolve around you and me, it revolves around him. And if you love Jesus as your Master, you'll begin to love people freely. It's not going to be hard to love people when you truly fall in love with Jesus. So this is what I want to share with us tonight, a couple ideas, and, and I, I, I want to read the scripture verse. I think we read it just a few weeks ago, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, I love this verse so much because it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's where a lot of Christians stop. They just want to see Jesus. And it's good, it's a great desire, but you can't stop there. You can't just, you can't just love Jesus. You have to be transformed into the same image. Everyone say, same image. The same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Our calling, our job, our responsibility as believers is to be Christ-like. We have to be like him. We have to be like Jesus. So there's three things that I want to point out that Jesus did so well. Man, Jesus was awesome, right? Anybody agree with that? Jesus was awesome. I love Jesus, and he did, he did some really cool things for us. And, and there's a couple aspects of his life that I want to look at. But the first one is humility. Everyone say humility. I believe that if you're a mature Christ-like believer, you have humility. 
You know, just the other night, we, uh, a group of guys were on a Zoom call, and uh, Pastor Dion and, and, and James Jackson, I don't think James is here tonight, but they, sh- he shared, they both shared their testimony with us, and it was powerful, powerful stuff. And at the center of their testimony revolved this word, humility. How they led their life in a sort of prideful way, in a way that was self-centered, self-seeking. They had a lot of self-desire, and, and, and things were revolving around them, and then something happened to knock them off of their high horse. Has anybody been knocked off your high horse before? <laughs> it doesn't feel too good, right? But they learned something very valuable. They learned the benefit of being humble. I want to read this scripture verse in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes this about Jesus. He says, let this, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. This is what Jesus did. He made himself of no reputation. And if anybody in this room, on this earth, had any right to hold on to their pride, their reputation, who they are, and how awesome they were, it wouldn't be me or you. It would be him. If anyone had the right to come down here and say, hey guys, listen, you don't understand who you're talking to. I am the son of the living God. I was there before any of you were. When God spoke, I was there watching the stars pop into existence. If anyone had the right to brag and be prideful, it's this man, Jesus. But he said, I am going to lay down my reputation and become like a bondservant so that I can serve you, so that I can love the people of God. This is such a powerful example, and this is something that you and I have to understand, is that we have to willingly lay down our pride and accept humility, walk in humility. This is one of the things that I've noticed about um, people who are insecure. People who are insecure always feel the need to defend themselves. Have you noticed this? If you're around anybody that's insecure, and if if there's any conversation or anything that challenges their insecurity, the first thing that happens is they puff their chest out, they take a deep breath, and they're ready to fight in defense of their own honor. Why? Because they're unsure and insecure of who you are. But Jesus, he wasn't insecure. He knew full well who he was and where he came from and who he belonged to. And this is so amazing. The, 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 the little words that the, that the people said about Jesus and the, and the, the accusations and the lies and, and, and not believing in who he was, that didn't affect him. He didn't need somebody else's approval because he knew who he belonged to. He knew who he was. And Christian, this is what I want to tell you today. You don't need the people around you to clap you on the back. You don't need their affirmation. It's nice when it happens, but man, if they don't see who God has created you to be, that doesn't mean that you're not that individual. You have to understand who you are, not from an outside perspective, but from his perspective, the way God sees you, the way God values you. And when you truly know who you are, it's easy to be humble. Because listen, I don't need you to know how awesome I am. He knows how awesome I am. And I can, just like Jesus, freely lay down my reputation, fully secure in who I am, and love people. But that only happens when you know who you are. 
Look at this. Insecurity makes you prove. Security lets you give. When you're insecure, it makes you want to prove yourself. It makes you want to prove them wrong. Oh, I'm going to prove them wrong. They didn't believe in me. I'm going to prove them wrong. Okay, cool. But when you're secure in who you are, you don't have to prove anything. You know who you are, and you can freely give. I mentioned this on Sunday, and this is something that I feel like so many people can get some freedom from, but, but what I mentioned on Sunday is, is about our money. And when you look at, when you look at people who are, who are serving, Jesus says, the God of mammon. When you look at people who are serving money and who are bound in the grasp of money, they hoard it. They, they don't let anything go. They're obsessed and consumed with money. But, but when money doesn't have any power over you, you can freely give it. This is, this is how Jesus lived his life. Like his reputation, pride, these things that people thought about, it didn't have any power over him, so he just was able to freely give it. This is the same thought process that I believe set me free from my addiction to pornography. It was this idea, the same exact concept, and it went like this. I feel like I have to prove something to the Lord. I have to earn my salvation. I have to, I have to be perfect, and if I'm not perfect, if I mess up, then man, I, I'm not gonna be as good as God wants me to be. And there was this constant effort to prove myself to the Lord. And because I was so bound up in proving myself, I couldn't break free from my mistakes. But the moment I realized something, the moment I realized I don't have to prove anything. I'm a son if I mess up. I'm a son if I don't mess up. Nothing I will ever do will ever change how God feels about me. And when I begin to live my life, not to prove something, but to, man, enjoy the free gift that God gave me, that I was set free from that addiction because it wasn't about me anymore. It was about him. It was about who he created me to be. And this is the idea that will transform your entire life and every aspect of your life if you'll realize that you don't have to prove anything to anyone. You're, you're loved by God. You answer to him. You don't answer to me. You answer to the Lord. And you don't have to be insecure in any relationship. This is something powerful. Like the, the Bible says this, Jesus says this, that no one takes my life, but I freely lay it down. No one takes anything from me. This is the truth that I want you to see. This is gonna help you, you ready? This is gonna help you be humble and be unoffendable if you realize this one thing, that people can't take what you freely give. People can't take what you freely give. They tried to take Jesus' life, but they couldn't because he had already laid it down. He couldn't be offended because they didn't take anything from him. He gave it to him. This is why Jesus says this. If, if somebody smacks you, go ahead and turn the other cheek. This wasn't, this wasn't, a, a, this wasn't Jesus encouraging us to be passive doormats. That's not what Jesus is saying so people can walk all over us. This is actually a very aggressive, a very violent step that says this, you, you can't take anything from me because if you try, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give you more. What does he say? If the Roman soldier asks you to walk a mile, walk two miles. Why? Because you have to let them know that they can't take anything from you. I'm going to give it to you. If you try to take my coat, I'm giving you my shirt too. Why? Because I am living a life that is completely unoffendable and I'm laying it down. I'm not giving you the right to take anything from me. I'm giving it freely just as Jesus gave it. Doing my best to walk in complete humility. That's what Jesus did and that's what we need to do, church, as Christians. We need to walk in humility. Understand that this isn't about us. And in every single situation, every opportunity you have to lay your life 
down. This is what I realized, that people love to feel important. People love to talk about themselves. Has anybody noticed that? People love to talk about themselves. And man, there's a couple people that I have in my life that I know I can get them going. I can just ask one question and they'll talk for hours. I can just get them going and going because they love to talk about themselves. They love to feel important. And this is gonna, like, if you can really master this, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. It changed my life. Learn to reverse the role on people. Instead of talking about yourself, Pastor Clarence is so good at this. Instead of talking about yourself and making yourself seem important, you have this incredible superpower to lay your life down, to walk in humility, and to make others around you feel important. This is exactly what Jesus did. Everywhere he went, he was touching people. Everywhere he went. How often did Jesus go up to the leopard and start complaining about what was wrong in his life? Never. Every person he went up to, it was all about them. It was all about what the kingdom of heaven was here to do for them. But when you're a prideful Christian, you can't minister to people the way Jesus did. When you're prideful, you can't love people the way Jesus did because you can't get past yourself. It takes humility to love people. It takes laying your life down to love people, to making it about what the kingdom of heaven is here to do in their life. Amen? Amen. Here's the second thing that Jesus did. He was, he, he, he was, well, the second thing we're going to talk about is meekness. Everyone say meekness. meekness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, if you want to go there, Jesus is preaching on the mountain, and he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, being meek, it does not mean you're weak. The translations in the Bible says gentle, lowly. There's a lot of different translations, but what I, what I looked and I looked very hard today, the word I didn't find is weakness. And when you are meek, that doesn't mean you're weak. It actually means the opposite. I want to show you this. Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, the prophet, Matthew quotes the prophet here and says this, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly. That's the same word as meek in Matthew chapter five. Lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. This is what I have to, this is what I need us to understand, that Jesus was not weak. Anybody believe that? Jesus was the strongest person to ever live on this earth. Why? Because he had legions at his command. Jesus could call down fire and destroy the people that disagreed with him. <laughs> Jesus could probably snap his fingers like Thanos and you just wouldn't exist. He didn't need five infinity stones to do it. He could just do it if he wanted to because he is the strongest in the universe. Like he's the ultimate superhero, right? So meekness is not identifying somebody as weak. If, if somebody says you're meek, it doesn't mean you're weak. It means something different. And this is what I want us to understand, that in order to embrace a life of meekness, we have to understand that you first have to be secure in who you are. You have to walk in humility. Like this is a part one and part two. Like you can't, you can't be prideful and be meek because meekness is not being weak, but it's, it's, it's having strength under control. This is, what, this is what my definition of, of meekness. It's, it's meekness is when strength meets security. 
When you're secure in who you are, when you know who you are, you have nothing to prove, but you're strong. You know, there's an there's a old, I think it's an old Chinese proverb that says this, I would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. I would rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. What does that mean? That means this. I want to have the strength, the ability to be a monster. I want to have the strength to be ferocious, but then I also want to have the security to discipline that. I also want to be, be able to reserve that. You know, I was listening to a conversation, I think Jordan Peterson talked a little bit about this, and, and he has an interesting perspective on this, and he's, he says this, that a lot of times in society, we try to treat weakness as a virtue, and we try to say that people who are harmless are virtuous because they're harmless, but that's not true, because you're, you're not virtuous because you can't do any harm. That just means you're weak. You're virtuous when you can do harm, but you choose not to. You're virtuous when you, you're strong, but you choose to be meek. And this is Jesus to a T. He had all the power, all the authority, even as he's hanging on the cross, they're mocking him and say, hey, call your angel friends to come cut you down. He could have destroyed the earth like that, hanging on that cross, but he chose to be humble. Why? Because he was secure in who he was. An insecure person cannot walk in meekness because their pride will, will get them to prove something to people, get them to show their strength. Jesus didn't need to do that. He was strong and he was humble. He was secure in who he was. And Jesus, listen, Jesus showed us this example and this is why you and I should be meek. You can't be weak in life. Let's, let's, just, let's just go there. You can't be weak, right? You can't be weak. Like, it's not a virtue to be a weak, passive Christian. That's not a good thing. You have to be strong in every area of your life. You have to be strong physically. You have to be strong emotionally. You have to be strong financially. You have to be strong intellectually. All of these areas, as a Christian, you have to produce strength in your life. Jesus did these things every single day to produce strength in his life. The Bible says all the time that he withdrew to pray by himself. Why? Because he was building himself up. He was producing strength in his life. I had a conversation with Dion just the other day, and he was telling me how he wants to build wealth in the future. And he has a very, very clear strategy on how he's going to build wealth. And the first thing that came out of his mouth that he was going to do with that wealth was be a blessing to the body of Christ. He said, how cool would it be to write checks in the, in, with a lot of zeros at the end of them, right? Just for, this is my tithe. Here you go. Because this is, this is the understanding. That is meekness. That's meekness because you can't be a blessing if you're weak, you can't be a blessing if you're poor. You can't be a blessing if you don't know who the Lord is. You can't be a blessing if you don't pray. If you don't, can't be a blessing if you don't have faith. And this is what Jesus lived. He lived to bless people, but he didn't do it through his weakness. He did it through his strength. He was strong enough to be a blessing to those around us. And here's what you have to understand. Your strength should bless others. Your strength should be a blessing to others. This is why you and I have to be meek. Because when we embrace meekness, I don't even know if that's a word, we're just going to go with it. If you embrace meekness and you make it a part of your life, it's, it's, it's like you, re, you resist being proud 
and being strong just for the sake of being strong, but you embrace what Jesus did. He had all the strength in the world, but he chose to reserve it for those who truly needed it. And when you're meek, you can fight for those who can't fight for themselves. You can bless those who need to be blessed. You can be the answer for those who need an answer in their life, but you can't do it if you're just weak. It's not a virtue. I would rather be a warrior who doesn't need to fight (laughs) than somebody who does need to fight and I don't know how to. This is where a lot of Christians find themselves. Life's good when it's good, but when they need to fight, they realize that they don't know how to do it. And that's why my phone blows up. That's why Pastor Troy's phone blows up. That's why there's pastors and leaders in this room who their phone blows up. Why? Because they have to fight for people who don't know how to fight for themselves. It's not okay. We have to embrace meekness, embrace the strength of the Lord through humility. Here's the last thing I want to share with us tonight is contentment. Everyone say contentment. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13, This is such a good passage of scripture and so many people just like to read the little one at the end there, but we can't really separate the word of God, right? We got to read it all. So in verse 11 through 13, it says this, now, not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer Need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We quote that scripture verse to give us strength to ace our math tests, to do good at our job, to perform in a sport or whatever, and that's fine, that's great. But the context of this scripture verse was Christ is going to give you strength to be content. To be content. Whether you have need, whether you have an abundance, whatever, whatever state you're in in life, Christ is going to give you strength for contentment. This is what I want us to, to think about for a second. In our society, in our culture, Western kind of American Christianity, even just culturally, we have so much money, so much stuff, so many things, and we have so much pain and depression and anxiety. And we would have thought that the more things we had, the more joy we had. The more stuff we acquire, the happier we are. But it's very much the opposite. <laughs> I've been to nations where they don't have food. They have like one meal a day, barely have any water or food to eat. Got one t-shirt. I mean, in Haiti, you walk around and there's, there's people living their life with one item of clothing on. They either got pants or a shirt. It's not both. It's either or. And they're some of the happiest people I've ever met in my life. Just joyous, like contagious joy. That if you've ever been to Haiti, a lot of times what people say is this, I was changed more than I changed anybody down there. Why? Because they've figured out this joy in the simple things of life. And, and what I want us to embrace tonight is this idea that, that good doesn't always mean to God what it means for us. I saw this, uh, saw this snippet from a message uh, earlier today, and this lady said this. It was so, so profound, but she said that God will 
always, he'll always um, make a way for us. You know, he'll always provide for us and, 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 and he'll, he'll uh, um, how does she put it? He'll work things out for your good. That, that's the scripture verse, Romans, I think chapter five or chapter eight. I think somewhere around there. But he'll work things out for your good. And she was saying how the problem is your definition of good and my definition of good are, or God's definition of good is very different. Because our definition of good is always more. More is good and less is bad. It's very simple. If I have more money, good thing. Less money, bad thing. <laughs> more square feet, good thing. Less square feet, bad thing, right? More is always good and, and less is always bad. But God doesn't necessarily think like us. His ways are just a little bit higher than our ways. His thoughts are a little bit higher than our thoughts. To where when God defines good, it doesn't always mean more, but it means Christ-like. This is the idea, is that, is that when God says, I have more for you and, and, and I want to do something good in your life, in God's definition of good is that you would look more like Christ. And our definition of good is that we would have more money in the bank. And so when God promises us good and he, he, he lets, trial, let us, lets us go through trials to produce a Christ-like spirit inside of us, there's a disconnect and we're saying, God, you're bad, you're not good. This is terrible. And he's saying, what definition are you working off of? Because listen, that, that thing that you went through that I allowed to happen in your life, it's produced patience in you. It's produced endurance in you. You look more like Jesus now than you did last year. How is that not a good thing? Our definitions have to shift, and we have to learn how to be content, just like Paul was, in all circumstances, in all situations. This is what I, I want you to know tonight. Peace and joy come to you when you realize the true treasure of your eternal life. Peace and joy come to you when you realize the true treasure of your eternal life. This is something that I, I've been learning a lot over, of over the last year. Is that the definition of good and bad, it's not always as simple as we think it is. And that we might be in a scenario where we would label this a bad season. But if you didn't have this bad season... You wouldn't experience the goodness of God in the next few years. If you didn't go through this thing, then you wouldn't look more like Jesus. And it's, it's, it's hard to say that this is why this happened and this is why this is happening and oh, just keep your head up because God did this to you. I think it's really hard to identify those things. But what I think we can do better at is stop labeling things good and bad objectively and start asking the Lord for his advice. Start asking the Lord for his definition and say, God, this doesn't, this doesn't make me happy. This doesn't feel good, but is this good for me? Is this, is this a good thing? And allow him to define that for you. You know, just, just today I, I bought, my, my brother helped me, I bought a big feeding trough. I'm going to start raising cattle in my backyard. I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that. But I, I bought a big feeding trough and I've I've, I've fallen victim to the hype of, of the cold baths, the cold plunges. Has anybody done those before? Has anybody done, done that, the ice baths? No? None of you have done it? Oh, y'all got to get on it. It's crazy. So listen, it's this big tub, and it's, it's really cold. It's really cold water. And so me and my brother did it the other day, and it was like a barrel. And you get in a barrel, and it's like 42 degrees, and you're just like, ugh, it's freezing, right? It's terrible. 
Um, but today, after I had my breakfast, I went outside and I had my big tub filled up. And I mean, this water had to have been 40 degrees, 30-something degrees. It was freezing, so cold. It was probably the coldest water I've ever been in. And I looked at it for about 20 minutes. <laughs> so like, I'm not getting in this. And I got in really fast and I sat down and I'm just, you know, teeth clattering, all this stuff, just like, Ugh. I know, why? why? Why would you do that to yourself? People say that there's science behind it, that it's healthy for you, that, you know, all this stuff. And I don't know if that's true. I'm not a scientist. But what I do know is that there's benefit of making yourself do hard things. There's a benefit of saying no to comfort, of saying no to the easiness of, of life and embracing difficulty. There's a benefit of, of forcing your body to say, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm gonna have a good attitude while I do it. I'm gonna be happy in this difficult moment. You know, a couple of days ago, I did a, another cold bath in the house and Judah came in the room, my three-year-old son. I felt, this was kind of mean. I felt bad, honestly. He loves baths so much. He loves them. And so he just assumed the water was warm. <laughs> so he runs in and he's like, Dad, are you taking a bath? I'm like, I'm taking a bath, dude. Come on, hop in. He takes his clothes off and he jumps over the tub. And he, he didn't get all the way in, but he steps in and he's like, oh, it's cold, it's cold, it's cold. He starts freaking out. It was so funny. But I was like, Judah, you know, just sit down, embrace it. And he was like, no, I want a hot bath. I want a hot bath. But he did it. He sat down and he was, he was, and he did it. It was awesome. But this is why I, this is why, this is why I believe that fasting is so, so, so important for a Christian. Like you have to tell yourself no. You have to get used to saying no. Flesh, no, stop. Stop. You're, gonna, you're not eating any food today, and you're going to be happy. You're going to be content. We have to practice being content. We have to practice finding joy, finding happiness in situations that are uncomfortable. But the unfortunate reality is that that doesn't happen much in America. Like, oftentimes, we're not put in situations that are really that bad. And we're spoiled. And it's because of that. We're filled with anxiety, worry, pride, all of this gross stuff that is deteriorating our faith because we just simply can't be content in what God has done in our life. Be happy. We always have to, there's always more. Oh, I want, I want more, I want more, I want more. Just chill and be happy for what God has done. Be content. And I promise you, if you find the ability to be content, you find the ability to put yourself through hard situations and be happy in difficult situations, what you'll find is that there is such a peace and a joy in your life unlike anything that you've ever known. It doesn't matter what goes on around you, you'll find yourself at peace because you know that God is in control. You know that if it's good now or if it's bad now, at the end, God's gonna make all of it good. Peace and joy come when you realize the true treasure of your eternal life. These 75, 80, 90 years that we get to live on this earth is but a speck of who we are. You know, think about eternity. Oh my goodness. We're so worried about these 90 years. What's 90 years to eternity? What's a handful of years of difficulty to eternity? 
And I'm not trying to belittle what anybody's going through in the room, but I just wanted to bring some perspective in and say this, like, God is not, God is not just the God of, of our 90 years. He's outside of that, and he sees our eternity. And his message to you is this, listen, if you can endure, just endure. Just endure, be patient. Enjoy, enjoy what you have. Enjoy where you're at because there's gonna be a time for eternity where you're gonna be with me and it's gonna be amazing. Holy Spirit, we thank you for just your word, your leading, your guiding tonight. Holy Spirit, would you make us Christ-like? Not just people who are fans of Jesus and love Jesus, but make us people who look like him, who represent him well in this earth. Help us to be humble. (laughs) Just like Jesus laid down his reputation, laid down his life. No one took anything from him because he freely gave everything that he had. Would you help us to walk in humility? Would you help us to to be secure, find security in in you, not in people, not in our job, not in relationships, but help us to be secure in who you are and what you've done in our life and what you've called us to be. Help us to only listen to you, Jesus. Father, would you teach us how to be meek, Teach us what it means to be meek, Jesus. I pray that we wouldn't get caught off guard, that we wouldn't need strength when we don't have it, but man, would you help us to be strong? Would you help us to be that warrior in a garden? To have strength, Jesus, to have power, but to choose to use that power to love and bless people. Man, Jesus, you are such a blessing. Everywhere you went, you blessed people. Would that be our testimony, that everywhere we went, we were a blessing to others. We were a blessing to the bride. That's our desire, that's our goal, Jesus. And finally, I just ask that wherever we're at in life, whether we we have more than we need or we don't have enough, would you teach us, just as Paul learned, you teach us to be content in all things, all things. Help us to be content in our abundance, in our overflow. Help us to be content in our lack, in our need, God. I pray that joy and peace would be the themes throughout our life, that we wouldn't be bogged down by worry and anxiety, trying to to keep up with the culture and keep up with the Joneses and all this other stuff. But man, help us to just be happy, content with you, Jesus, what you've done and who you are. Because if we really think about it, Jesus, if we have you, we have everything that we need. What else could we want for if we have you, Jesus? We love you. We bless your name. In your name I pray. Come on, everybody said tonight. Amen. And do me a favor, stand to your feet for me as we close the service tonight. And I'm gonna ask some of my altar ministers, pastors, leaders, if you guys can come up here and just hang out for a second because I, I just wanna give this invitation. If you're here tonight and, and, and you need anything, you need prayer, you need a word, you need encouragement, you need healing in your body, man, we believe that the Lord is here. 
and his, his, his goodness is here and he wants to bless you tonight. We want to be a blessing to you. So if you need any prayer, we want you to come up. We want to pray for you. We want to bless you. We want to believe with you. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, maybe you've never really given him your heart or maybe, maybe you've tried you know, a relationship with Jesus, but, but you kind of identified with what I talked about at the beginning. You just didn't see any fruit from it. You're like, man, I, I, I went to church. I prayed the prayer. Why didn't my life change? It's because it takes a little bit more than just being a fan of Jesus. You gotta love him. You gotta love him with all your heart. You gotta allow him to come into your life and change you. And if that's what you want tonight, if you're saying, listen, I, I, want, I want him to be in control. I wanna give my life to him. It's, it's really a significant decision. I believe it's the best decision that you'll ever make. Everybody else in the room believes that too. But if you want to, believe, if you want to make that decision, I'm going to ask you to come up to the altar as well and pray with some of these incredible people. They want to introduce you to Jesus tonight. So Father, we thank you. We bless your people tonight. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. We thank you, Jesus, for the humility. We thank you, Jesus, for, for teaching us how to be meek and teaching us how to be content. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take this time together, that you would do what only you can do with it, Jesus. You would help us to love you better, love your people better. We bless your holy name tonight. We bless your people. In your name I pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. If you need anything at all, come up here before you go that way. We love you all. Live right, love everyone, and pray hard. We'll see you next time.